What's good, Hennessy and T-Sippers? Welcome to a brand new episode of The Chronicles of She with your girl, the one and only queen, Taylor Cathy, in the motherfucking building. I am back with some tea to spill. First, we have a new show coming up on CBG. My girl, Candace L. Smith, is back with a new series called Unfiltered Church and Community Conversations on the Queen Connect channel, which we are hosting on the CBG network. So please, guys, September is going to be a great month. So please tune in to these episodes of Church and Community Conversations with Queen Connect, Candace L. Smith, and then Ebony Anderson, I Say Academy, and Williams Community Advocate. It's going to be off the chain. All right, tonight we are back to business as usual with the R. Kelly trial. And, well, during my little break, I've been learning some shit. I'm very disappointed with Sparkle. She threw her niece under the bus saying that she has to take responsibility for being with him. And for the record, I already know, Joycelyn Savage is saying that she's pregnant. There's no way that she can be pregnant while this motherfucker's in lockup and on trial. There's no way. So I'm debunking that. I'm I want to get into freaking Sparkle's ass right now. So yeah, let's talk about week one. Week fucking one. Woman testifies R. Kelly sexually abused her on video when she was 14 years old. We are not using her real name. She's going by the pseudonym Jean. Here we go. In 2008, a jury in Chicago declared the singer R. Kelly not guilty of producing child sexual abuse imagery after seeing a videotape that prosecutors said showed the R&B singer engaging in sex acts with an underage girl. The defense team had argued that the identities of the people in the tape were in question and several jurors said the lack of testimony from the victim was a significant barrier to convicting Mr. Kelly. But on Thursday, the woman at the center of the 2008 trial took the stand identifying herself and Mr. Kelly as the people in the infamous video saying that they had sex hundreds of times when she was underage and explaining how two decades ago he had persuaded her to deny their relationship to law enforcement officials. In recent years, she began cooperating with investigators. I no longer wanted to carry his lies, the woman said on Friday under cross-examination by Mr. Kelly's lawyer. Mr. Kelly has been trailed by accusations of abusing young women and underage girls for more than two decades, but had long avoided criminal punishment until last year when he was sentenced to 30 years in prison after he was convicted in federal court in Brooklyn of racketeering and sex trafficking charges. Before that, the 2008 trial was the closest Mr. Kelly had gotten to being held accountable. The woman at the center of that trial, now 37, took the stand at the Everett M. Dickerson U.S. Courthouse in downtown Chicago, where she said she had been repeatedly sexually abused as a teenager by Mr. Kelly and testified that it was in fact her at age 14 appearing in the videotape, which at one point shows Mr. Kelly urinating on her testified under a pseudonym for more than four hours on Thursday, the woman told the court that in 2002, after law enforcement officials had obtained the tape, Mr. Kelly sent her and her parents out of the country to make them inaccessible to investigators. He then urged her to deny 
her to deny to a grand jury that it was her on the tape and paid for a lawyer to accompany her, she said. She testified that she had falsely told the grand jury that it was not her on the videotape and that she was not sexually involved with Mr. Kelly. She said that she gave Mr. Kelly's lawyers a necklace of hers that could be seen on the videotape and signed a confidentiality agreement that the singer gave her. If I wanted to show my loyalty, I needed to sign that agreement, she said. As the woman spoke, Mr. Kelly, who was facing charges of coercing minors into sex, receiving child sexual abuse videos, and conspiring to obstruct justice, remained impassive. The woman told the jury that she was 13 years old when she was first introduced to Mr. Kelly by her aunt, a protege of Mr. Kelly's who goes by the stage name Sparkle. Mr. Kelly, who became the woman's godfather, started speaking sexually with her over the phone, she said, then started abusing her physically. She testified that Mr. Kelly would sexually assault her at various locations, including his home, the recording studio, and his tour bus. The tape surfaced after a journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times, who had reported on the accusations against Mr. Kelly. Jim D. Regattis received it in the mail from an anonymous sender and turned it over to law enforcement. Mr. Kelly was charged in 2002 with the producing of child pornography, and he stood trial in 2008, but was acquitted. The woman testified that around the time of the trial, she was living with Mr. Kelly in his mansion, and that after he was acquitted, he began physically abusing her and controlling her ability to leave. He later helped her move into her own place and get a car, she said. A lawyer for Mr. Kelly, Jennifer Bonji, sought to undermine her testimony and cross-examination on Friday, asking the woman about an immunity deal she made with prosecutors and the possibility that she would ask for restitution. The woman affirmed that in exchange for her testimony, prosecutors had granted her immunity from prosecution for perjury related to the false grand jury testimony in 2002. She said she was unsure whether she would ask for restitution, meaning payment from Mr. Kelly to help compensate her for what she endured. Prosecutors say that now they have more evidence of the woman's abuse than the state prosecutors had 14 years ago. The 2008 trial focused on one video, but the current trial centers on four videos that prosecutors say show Mr. Kelly sexually abusing the woman. Those videos are the basis for charges against Mr. Kelly related to producing child pornography, as well as the ones related to receiving child pornography. According to the federal indictment, Mr. Kelly and his associates realized in 2001 that videotapes of him sexually abusing the woman were missing. And as a result, they began a multi-year multi effort to recover the tapes, paying one person hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to regain possession of them. Charges against two of Mr. Kelly's associates, Daryl McDavid and Melton Brown, who are standing trial at the same time as Mr. Kelly, relate to accusations that they had tried to find the missing tapes. Both men pleaded not guilty, and their lawyers have argued that they were carrying out their jobs unaware that Mr. Kelly was abusing children. Later on in the trial, four other women who are also expected to testify that Mr. Kelly sexually abused them when they were girls. Damn, 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 damn. This, I told y'all that this is going to be 
I told y'all that this was going to be hard. It was going to be hard, but we're going to get through it. And I'm happy for Jane that she is, she is speaking her truth. But I am disappointed with her parents that they put her in, they put her in this type of position. And now, and Sparkle is saying that she has to take responsibility. What responsibility does she have to have to take? Uh, take responsibility that she was a child basically being groomed? That is some bullshit. That's bullshit to me. Like, I still remember that woman who told me that, like, and she said, F her. Like, wow, you would not be saying this if this was your own child who endured this. Like, come on. Come the fuck on. You, you, it, it really blows my mind. It really does blow my mind how everybody is so quick to be at his side, but yet you guys are forgetting like what this girl went through with him being urinated on sexually abused for years and also put into the middle of it by her fucking family. And I'll get to them in a minute. All right, identified in court records as minor one and referred to in open court only as Jane. She had previously denied Kelly abused her, which I just said, and didn't testify at his 2008 trial in Cook County on child pornography charges. Back then, she and her family publicly denied the sexual abuse and denied it was her in the sex tape with Kelly. She was 14 when the sexual relationship started. But federal prosecutors have said Jane and her family were paid off to lie on the record threatened by the singer and his team. On Thursday, Jane, now 37, admitted publicly that she was the girl on videotape having sex with Kelly in a recording that was at the center of Kelly's 2008 child pornography trial, which he was acquitted. Jane said she first met Kelly at age 12 or 13 during a gospel concert at her church. Kelly showed up and she detailed how both she and the entire crowd were starstruck. I'm also looking at a picture right now of her. Well, it's just a drawing. Just know that she has long hair and she's also, she's very beautiful. A performer herself in a musical group, she testified Kelly later showed up to one of her shows with her aunt, Stephanie, a musician working with Kelly at the time who was also engaged in a relationship with him. Jane said Kelly's presence at her gospel show and critique of her performance made her feel special. From there, Jane said her aunt Stephanie brought her to Kelly's recording studio with her and encouraged her to sit on his lap rub his head and ask him to be her godfather she said that's when everything changed sparkle Ooh, within weeks their relationship became sexual she said it started with phone sex kelly asking her about her underwear turning physical turning physical when she was 14 she said kelly would give her alcohol to help her loosen up loosen her up <clears throat> she also described pornographic videos he would play during their encounters featuring people she knew. Oh, Cat. 
Jane said the two eventually engaged in group sex acts with underage friends. She said Kelly encouraged her to bring around, testifying the physical relationship continued and she lost her virginity to Kelly at the age of 15. She's supposed to be somewhere playing basketball, going to a school dance, having fun with her friends, doing shit that any kid would do. And this is, and she was going through this. Continuing, she said she had sex with Kelly an uncomfortable number of times, hundreds of times. Where were her parents during all of this? Jane said once she told them R. Kelly was her godfather working on her music with her and they were comfortable with her being at his studio without her aunt's presence. Kelly was married at the time and Jane said oftentimes her parents thought she was at their home with them, not at the studio alone with Kelly. Jane will be back on on the stand on Friday to face cross-examination with Kelly's attorneys. All right, and we're about to get into more. Here we go. Y'all gonna have to excuse me on this, this motherfucker. This, this still pisses me off. This pisses me off big time. Jane testifies about Kelly recording their sexual activity, handing her money so she looked like a prostitute. In graphic testimony at R. Kelly's federal federal obstruction of justice and child pornography trial, the prosecution star witness provided graphic testimony admitting for the first time publicly that Kelly began sexually abusing her when she was 14 and repeatedly filmed their sexual activity. She viewed Kelly as an authoritative figure at the time and said she participated in sexual acts with him while she was underage out of intimidation. I felt uncomfortable, but I looked up to him, she testified. It somewhat became normal. Jane said she started having feelings for Kelly and it became normal since sexual involvement with him was so frequent. I developed feelings for Robert. He said he loved me. She said, he, sorry, said he would take care of me, said he would protect me. It made me feel good, she testified. She also told the jury she considered herself to be submissive and wanted to give Kelly everything he required, including bringing her friends Pinky and Brittany into their sexual relationship. Brittany was 16 at the time of their first threesome with Kelly and Jane was 15, she testified. Ash shy, Ash shy. She what? I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. This is looking. Ask. Okay, sorry. Some. This is. There's a gram, grammatical error here. Shit. Ask shy. She was willing. As she was willing to do those things. Testified that she thought she was in love with Kelly at the time and didn't want him to think she wasn't cooperating with him. Jane said. Kelly first instructed her to keep their relationship secret when they started having phone sex when she was around age 13 or 14. She said Kelly told her they could get in trouble and it was very important she remained loyal to him. She said she wanted to share the relationship with her friends, but she didn't because she was afraid, though she did eventually share it with her aunt who had introduced the two. Jane testified Kelly started recording their sexual activity when she was 14. She said she felt uncomfortable about being recorded, but reiterated Kelly as an authoritative figure, and she didn't want to feel awkward. 
The recordings included the use of lighting and camcorders and took place on Kelly's bus, at his studio, and at his house on George Street. He let me know he wanted to videotape me. When we were in the room, he was setting everything up, she testified. Jane testified about three recordings that were played for the jury, showing her and Kelly having sex at his George Street house in his bedroom and living room. She said she watched each of those videos in preparation for the trial. Oh man, I bet that had to be hard. Fuck. In one of the videos, Jane said the two were having oral and stimulated sex. Oh, I know where this is going in his bedroom and he asked her to describe her 14 year old body and another filmed in kelly's living room he gave her champagne and performed oral sex on her then urinated on her vagina oh my god what the what is it with this man in the fucking mm. In the third video, she, oh, I'm sorry, in the third video, which was evidence in Kelly's 2008 child pornography trial, she performed oral sex on him in his jacuzzi and he again urinated on her. <sighs> Fucking piece of shit. Asked why Kelly appeared to hand her money in that video. Jane cried audibly and said, because if anybody saw the tape, he wanted it to appear I was a prostitute. Later, when the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services was investigating claims about their sexual relationship, Jane said she denied it because she was afraid something would happen to Kelly and wanted to protect him because she told because he told her something really bad would happen to him. <laughs> A bullet between the eyes. Jane testified she lied to D DCFS because she was afraid and wanted to keep their relationship intact. She didn't even tell her friends. She said because it was something she would take to her grade to protect Kelly. I knew it was something they wouldn't approve of, she testified. She also testified Kelly told her she did a good job and handled everything correctly. When one of the sex tapes leaked in 2002, Jane said she and her parents had a conversation with Kelly arranged by his former business manager, Daryl McDavid, who is being tried alongside Kelly. Jane said they met at a hotel in Oak Park, and she was scared because her parents were finally going to find out about her sexual relationship with Kelly because Kelly told her it was true that tape had been leaked. And the authorities were about to get involved, so her parents needed to know. And Kelly wanted them on his team. Oh, the fucking land fairs are nefarious. I'm just tell you that. She recalled her father storming out of the meeting, crying. And Kelly pleading for him to stay, crying and begging his father, his father for forgiveness. I was embarrassed for lying to my parents. They finally understood everything was true, she testified. She also said she feared what was going to happen to Kelly and begging her parents not to turn him in. After that meeting, Jane said Kelly wanted her parents to leave the country so they could, couldn't speak to the authorities or the press, so he paid them to go to the Bahamas and Cancun. I was told, that, told to make them feel uncomfortable so they would not turn against him, she testified. Oh my goodness.
All right, we're about to get into more of <sighs> about to get into more of these details. So guys, just breathe, okay? Just breathe. Bear with me, okay? It, but listen, if this is too much for y'all, you can leave. If you're on my anchor, my anchor channel, please click onto another episode that will make you feel lighthearted. Click on one of my music video interviews with Beelise or Nikki Owens, XL, any one of them, okay? For those who are sticking around, thank you. She said she started seeing Kelly more after that. At his basketball game, his studio, and at restaurant with her aunt. She learned Kelly had a personal and romantic relationship with her aunt. Jane said she spent most of her time with Kelly at his Chicago track studio, which she visited hundreds of times. At one point when she was 13, Jane said her aunt instructed her once again sit on his lap rub his head and ask him to become her godfather and he said yes once he became her godfather the way he spoke to her changed yep it became more sexual the details here's the details we would spend a lot of time on the phone together and eventually he might ask me a question like what color panties are you wearing she said kelly would talk to her about her breast growing and her panties and those conversations progressed into phone sex it became more than just talk when she turned 14 and became physical at his studio while watching TV. When he started rubbing and touching her, Jane testified. Kelly started rubbing in my vaginal area and on himself. In the wee hours of the night when no one else was around, Jane said once Kelly became her godfather, her parents felt comfortable with her being there at the studio without her aunt. She said her parents thought she was back at the house with Kelly and his wife, not at the studio. See, I could I couldn't leave my kid. I couldn't leave my kid with somebody. It doesn't even matter. It to me that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he is the godfather. I would still want to know what is going on with my child and make sure my child is safe. No. She never should have been left there alone. Oh my god. Yeah, this shit. This is just, this is horrible. And it's now. It is now clear that Sparkle had a romantic relationship with him too. Which is still nuts. Here's the more deep. Here's the more details. Well, of what they found in the house. Witness reveals security features in bedroom. Prosecutors called Matthew Holzier, who purchased R. Kelly's house at 1010 West George Street in Chicago in 2001. He testified that he doesn't remember whether he ever met the singer. Holzier testified about a concerning security feature in bedroom. A button on the wall you had to press to unlock the door and get out of the bedroom. What? Oh, 
He said he had to disable the button in order to have a normally operating door. He also realized smoke detectors were actually video cameras. On cross-examination, Holzier testified he did not know if Kelly installed those features in the bedroom. And here we go. Here we go with the detectives. Their testimony. Here we go. Detective Dan Everett, a retired Chicago police detective, received the first tip regarding the then-minor Jane and R. Kelly having sex back in 2000. Detailing the police interview of Jane and her parents, Everett said the girl referred to Kelly as her godfather and said no sexual abuse took place. CPD called the tip unfounded because she and her parents denied sexual abuse. Everett said she said he was later sent the sex tape apparently showing Kelly by the Chicago Sun-Times. By the sun, t- what he said, he recognized Jane from his earlier investigation. On cross examination, Everett said CPD declared the initial tip unfounded. He said he did not interview Jane a second time because CPD could no longer locate her or her family. Yep, <sighs> okay. We are gonna take ourselves a quick music break when I come back. We're gonna get more into the case and. I'm also going to talk about the Amina and Sarah Saeed case that has to be talked about, so stay tuned. Yo, this is Senior G, the music industry's holy trinity. And when I'm online, I'm listening to the hottest, littiest station on the planet. You know, the BDE Music Network, the 96 Jams FM. And if you don't know, you better ask somebody. Try to tear the shit apart, try to come and break my heart I can't even fuck with you, man, I don't know what's up with you I don't even care if you want me to I was right there when you want me to Cause my pride aside is for trusting you Heartbreak hotel is space for you Come me like, oh, 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 oh Try to tear the shit apart, try to come and break my heart I can't even fuck with you, man, I don't know what's up with you I don't even care if you want me to I was right there when you want me to Cause my pride aside is for trusting you Heartbreak hotel is a space for you Come me like, oh, oh, oh Heartbreak, spazzing Got me caught up like I'm lacking I was so stuck on the stacking You were so stuck on your last bitch Telling me that shit was tragic She tried to set you up like you was ass Put your money on the white and no gas chick Like money went to the bitch with the lashes The one that be flapping The one that look like she flying with a laugh But her name not Jasmine You know what I'm saying, she not you, she lacking While you out here acting different For someone that's acting distant Giving my heart like I'm sipping But maybe I'm sipping, I'm over here Bottom line, I ain't waiting, I ain't loving no shit Trying to come and break my heart I can't even fuck with you Man, I know what's up with you I don't even care if you want me to I was right there when you want me to Put my pride aside, it's trust in you Heartbreak on tell it's a space for you Coming like, oh 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 oh. Try to tear the shit apart Try to come and break my heart I can't even fuck with you Man, I know what's up with you I don't even care if you want me to I was right there when you want me to Put my pride aside, it's trust in you Heartbreak on tell it's a space for you Coming like, oh 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 oh. I get that I was wrong in decision. Took another chance when I know I was tripping. Took all of your advances like a whore, I was tricking. But baby, I was slipping in my heart, it was different. Fucking up the game, she was fucking up my brain. She saved me as the best in her phone, is my name. But baby, I keep game. Baby, say my name, got me loving you the same, and the shit is a drain. Try to tear the shit apart, try to come and break my heart. I can't even fuck with you, man, I know what's up with you. I don't even care if you want me to. I was right there when you want me to. Put my pride aside, it's a trust in you. Heartbreak, I'm telling you. 
Hey guys, welcome back to the Tea and Hennessy. I hope you guys enjoyed that music break. We are back with more talk about the R. Kelly trial. Whew. This shit is... Shit is getting out of control. But it's coming out. It's coming out, Lord. Y'all need to brace yourselves. Hmm. I feel really, I feel for Jane. I'm glad that she finally said something, that she's finally talking. It really hurt. It hurt to hear this. It really hurt to hear this. She, she lost, she lost a good part of her life. A good part because of this. All right, here we go. According to prosecutors, Kelly told the parents and Jane to leave Chicago for them to travel to the Bahamas and Cancun, Mexico. When they returned, prosecutors say Kelly sought to isolate Jane, moving her around to different hotels. When called before a state grand jury looking into the video, Jane and her father denied it was her in it. Tears streamed down his face on June 13, 2008, when he was acquitted on all counts of child pornography. Some of the jurors told reporters after the trial that they were convinced that the female in the video was who state prosecutors said she was. Before the 2008 trial, Kelly carried a duffel bag full of sex tapes everywhere he went for years, but some tapes later went missing according to court filings. In the 2000s, bootleg copies of some videotapes appeared on street corners throughout the U.S. In the, oh, in the early 2000s, the aunt showed the parents a copy of a t- video she said depicted their daughter having sex with Kelly. When they confronted Kelly, he told them, you're with me or against me, a government filing says. The parents took it as a threat. Ugh. The scrutiny intensified after the hashtag MeToo era and the 2019 six-part documentary Surviving R. Kelly. Prosecutors told the jur- told the jurors that the evidence includes at least three videos showing Kelly having sex with underage girls. <sighs> damn, damn, damn. Damn, damn, damn. And you already know we have to hear we have to hear what the fucking lawyers have to say. Attorney, don't accept portrayal of R. Kelly as a monster. Here we go. R. Kelly kept an ugly side of his life hidden as he escaped poverty in Chicago and rose to pop music stardom. A prosecutor told jurors Wednesday at the singer's trial on charges accusing him of enticing girls for sex and rigging a 2008 child pornography case. Kelly's lead attorney implored jurors during her opening statement at the federal trial in Chicago not to accept what she said was the prosecution's portrayal of her client as a monster. Going back to the 1990s, much of the world knew Kelly solely by his hit songs, including the chart-topping inspirational anthem, Fuck You, I Believe I Can Fly, U.S. Assistant Attorney Jason Julian said. But Kelly had another side, a hidden side, a dark side, he added. This trial is about Kelly's hidden side. Defense attorney Jennifer Bonjean told the jurors that Kelly, in part because of intellectual challenges that included illiteracy, was forced to rely on others as his career took off and that he was sometimes led astray by those in his circle of associates. 
Mr. Kelly can also be a victim, she said. A conviction in Chicago could add decades to a 30-year prison sentence he had already seen from a New York federal jury for charges that he used his fame to sexually abuse other young fans. Sitting at a defense table as the prosecutor spoke, Kelly occasionally shook his head as Julian described Kelly manipulated and controlling girls, even beating them if they didn't comply with strict rules that included calling him daddy. Julian sought to give jurors a sense of the scale of Kelly's alleged exploitation, saying he repeatedly had sex with girls who were just 14, 15, and 16 years old, multiple girls hundreds of times. He told jurors that the evidence includes at least three hour, three videos showing Kelly having sex with underage girls. We're not going to play hours of child pornography and make you watch it, the prosecutor said, explaining they would see excerpts. he added. The videos are difficult to watch, but it is important to watch to understand what happened. Prosecutors entered into evidence video that was at the center of Kelly's 2008 trial. Yep. <sighs> but did not play any of the jurors before the court ended for the day. Prosecutors contend the video Kelly having sex with a girl no older than 14 when he was around 30. Kelly nodded his head in agreement when lawyers told jurors Kelly isn't looking for special treatment, just a fair trial. That's what you're getting, bitch. When the government wants to paint him as a monster, you remember we are talking about a human being, Bonjean said. She said jurors should not succumb to what she called a mob justice climate surrounding Kelly, alluding to surviving R. Kelly and years of harsh social media accounts. Bitch, there are witnesses and there's proof. Look at the fucking tapes and it's not Carrie. It is not Carrie. So shut up. It is true that Mr. Kelly is imperfect, she said. On his journey from poverty to stardom, he stumbled along the way. But she said she was confident jurors would ultimately find him not guilty. After jurors acquitted Kelly at his state trial in 2008, some later explained that they felt they had no choice because the girl did not testify. The woman, now 37, referred to in court filings as minor one, was gov- was the government's star witness. Whew. Oh my God. The jury was impaneled Tuesday night with prosecutors and defense attorneys arguing toward the end of the process about whether the government was improperly attempting to keep some black people off the jury. Kelly is black. About half of the 12 jurors impaneled were identified as black by the judge, prosecutor, and defense attorneys. There are also five alternates. Oh, man. Why would why are y'all wanting to do... See? I can't... I can't with this shit. I really can't... Man, pfft. y'all ain't even passed judgment on the motherfucker yet. You can't even send yet, and you want to be messy. Y'all want to be messy. Okay. Ooh, day two. Day two. As the R. Kelly trial continues for the second week, the man who said he was promised a million dollars to get the Chicago R&B singer his stolen sex tapes testified for a second day. Charles Freeman was questioned by defense attorneys for Kelly and Kelly's co-defendants Wednesday. Of course, 
For much of the day, the attorney for Daryl McDavid grilled Freeman about what he told a grand jury compared to what he told the jury Tuesday in his federal trial, empathizing some inconsistencies. Bo Brindley asked about Freeman threatening to hold a press conference if Kelly and his team didn't give him more money. The purpose was to pressure Mr. Kelly and Mr. McDavid to get more money, Brindley asked. Yes, but that was to get the payment that was missed, Freeman answered. This attorney for Kelly can the sorry the attorney for Kelly contends Freeman was trying to extort Kelly for money emphasize Freeman's deal with federal prosecutors not only are you ch- testifying here with a grant a um, grant of immunity you have immunity from Cook County Jennifer Bonjean asked yes Freeman answered Freeman testified Tuesday that he was promised $100,000 every odd year before Kelly's Cook County trial in 2008 The R&B star was tried and acquitted in Cook County when the underage girl in the sex tape did not cooperate with the prosecutors. During this federal trial, jurors have heard from a woman calling herself Jane, who testified she was in the video and she was only 14 years old. Yeah, buddy, just because you were granted a beauty doesn't mean you're going to be granted beauty that you can go fuck yourself. Mm. And now I want to hear from, I want to hear from Mama Landfair. A mother whose young daughter was allegedly sexually assaulted by R. Kelly on videotape in the 1990s testified Monday that Kelly threatened them and sent them out of town after the allegations of abuse first surfaced more than 20 years ago. The woman who is using the pseudonym Susan echoes some of the explosive claims her daughter Jane made in court last week a watershed moment in the r kelly saga after years of denying any sexual misconduct by the r&b superstar (sighs) that's it that's it are you fucking this shit right here okay But Susan's testimony, unlike Jane's, was disjointed and confusing at times, and she contradicted her daughter on a few key points. She was also visibly nervous, frowning and fidgeting on the stand while Jane remained composed. Susan testified that she and her husband met with Kelly and his business manager, Daryl McDavid, at a hotel in Oak Park to discuss reports that Kelly was having sex with Jane, who was 14 at the time. Susan said Kelly never admitted directly having sexual relations with Jane at the meeting, but he was just saying he was sorry and he was crying. I was bawling and crying, Susan said, adding that Kelly and Mr. McDavid that the family needed to leave town right away. Kelly also made that Susan interpreted as a threat to the family safety. Are you with us or are you not? They were not going to, they were going to harm us if we didn't do what they told us to do. Susan said, we were fearful. We packed our bags and we left town. The testimony came as the second week of Kelly's federal child pornography trial got underway at the Dickerson U.S. Courthouse in Chicago, where Kelly McDavid and another former associate, Milton June Brown, are accused of conspiring to pay off victims and witnesses and collect videotapes Kelly allegedly made of himself sexually abusing an underage girl. (sighs) 
Susan's testimony was seen as an important piece to the prosecution's allegations of a conspiracy to silence her family and lawyers for both Kelly and McDavid sought to discredit her on cross-examination, calling into question her motives and memory. Susan said that after the Oak Park meeting, her family took a lengthy trip to the Bahamas and Cancun, Mexico that was paid for by Kelly. When they returned, they were subpoenaed to testify before a Cook County grand jury investigating a video. Susan said she lied when she claimed it was not her daughter on the tape. When a prosecutor asked who was really depicted in the video shown to her at the grand jury proceedings, Susan replied in a matter of fact tone, my daughter and R. Kelly. She lied at the grand jury because we fear for our lives and we were intimidated, she said. Across the room, Kelly shook his head, then hung his head toward the table in apparent exacerbation. Exacerbation. Yeah. Continue to be exacerbation, bitch. (laughs) Susan and her husband also went along with Kelly's request because Jane had threatened had threatened she was going to harm herself, run away, and not talk to us again, she said. Susan and Jane's accounts of the Oak Park Hotel meeting differed on key points. Susan said she did not remember if Jane was there, but testified that McDavid was present. Jane said last week that she was there, but she could not remember if McDavid was in attendance. In Jane's telling, Kelly told her, father at the meeting that it was true Mm. there was a tape of him with jane in susan's accounting kelly did not specifically admit any wrongdoing and while jane testified that kelly sent them out of town specifically so the family could avoid questions from reporters as well as law enforcement susan said it was just to avoid any onslaught of media attention on cross-examination from McDavid's attorney, Bo Brindley, Susan testified she was not aware of getting any money from Kelly or his team that was a payoff for keeping quiet. However, her late husband was in charge of the family finances, she said. Um, mm, uh, now, Kelly's attorney, Jennifer Bonging, frequently attacked Susan's sometimes disjointed memory of events. She also repeatedly asked why, if Kelly was such a threat, Susan and her family continued to have a relationship with him for years after the allegations came to light. Bonjean also confronted Susan with a report of an interview with federal prosecutors in 2019, where she said she didn't remember anyone specifically instructing her how to testify. Oh, oh, oh. Mr. Kelly never told you what to say to the police or the grand jury, right? Bonjean asked Susan, replied, Yes, he did. Did you lie to the U.S. attorneys on May 25th, 2019, or are you lying now? Which one is it, Bonji asked. I'm telling the truth, Susan replied. Susie began her testimony by telling the jury she met Kelly in the late 1990s through her sister Stephanie at a concert at Percy Julian Middle School in Oak Park, where Susan's daughter was performing. She also knew of him being that before that, saying he was an recording artist, a Grammy Award winner. Susan said her daughter started going to Kelly's studio more and more to work on music. It was then that Stephanie arranged for Kelly to be Jane's godfather. Asked how she felt about that arrangement, Susan replied, kind of strange because my sister told her to ask him that. 
Susan said her daughter would go to Kelly's house and hang out with him and his family. She would spend time with them. She was going there a lot. We would drop her off. Asked what they did, she said movies, shopping, or just hanging out with the kids. Earlier Monday, an IRS agent spent nearly three hours walking jurors through a network of payments made by the R&B superstars' various companies as part of the alleged scheme to cover up the sexual abuse of minors. Special Agent Jason Shire of the IRS walked jurors through a series of documents, including records of payments from Kelly or Kelly's related entities to Jane and her parents. Ooh, bitch. You is fucked. Okay, we're going to... back to the tea in Hennessy. I hope you guys enjoyed that quick music break. We are now back with talking about minor one, the R. Kelly trial, second week. Also, please send out your love and prayers to Vanessa Bryant. Okay, from roughly 2006 to 2012, Jane's parents were paid more than what? 79,000 from Kelly's connected entities including reimbursements for travel and hotels, health club memberships, and a property tax bill. Son of... Oh, oh, ain't no way she didn't know about this. Jane's father worked as a musician for Kelly at the time, and he still was. He still was working as a freaking musician at the time, but none of the payments were classified as payroll expenses, the agent testified. Jane herself also received payments from 2008 to 2015, including dozens of checks for 100, this 1,000, 100, $1,150 over the course of a single year, most of which were labeled settlement, Schreier said. Jurors have already heard that there was no formal settlement agreement between Kelly and Jane. Schreier also took jurors through travel records showing that Kelly's business paid to send Jane and her parents to Mexico and the Bahamas in 2002. Other records detailed hundreds of thousands of dollars in payments that Kelly and his companies allegedly made in 2007 to two men to help recover other incriminating tapes. Jurors are expected to hear, hear from both of those men later in the trial. Shire also testified that records related to a lawsuit co-defendant McDavid filed against the singer in 2014. Hmm. McDavid alleged that in, suit, in that suit that Kelly did not pay settlement money McDavid was owed after the two former business associates parted ways. The trial is expected to last at least through mid-September and jurors are likely to hear from more women who say Kelly had sexually had sexual contact with them when they were minors. Prosecutors also alleged that Kelly and his team took extensive measures to conceal Kelly's misdeeds, ultimately leading to his acquittal on state child pornography charges in 2008. <sighs> Jesus. And I, I don't believe that for one second. I don't believe that she did not know about those expenses. That's bullshit. Oh, really? Uh, where, where's the money coming from? Where is the money coming from then? Mm-mm. Uh-uh. No, you knew. You knew. Mm-mm. No, and the fact that you can't remember certain crap? Mm-mm. 
you you know what happened you know that this was happening for a long time and you did nothing you did nothing and you and you still and still you sacrificed your daughter nope kiss my ass nope she can kiss my fucking ass kiss my black ass bitch mm. all right yeah he paid a thousand dollars and also McDavid was pissed. I bet McDavid was pissed. It's like he hid your dirty little secret and he could not do and you, you Oh the motherfucker was oh was ooh he was pissed. Uh oh uh oh uh oh mm Bon Jean further pressed Susan saying if she lied to the court in the 2000s, she could be lying now. Susan insisted she was telling the truth, although her testimony did at times contradict her daughter, according to the truth. Hell yeah. Oh, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the drawing right now with the motherfucker. Damn, his beard got longer. I hope he's washing that motherfucker. Nasty. <sighs> mm-mm. Mm-mm. He is mm-mm. Okay, heated cross-examination. The eighth day of R. Kelly's federal child pornography trial was marked by defense attorneys conducting blistering cross-examination of a man who, at a day earlier, testified that he was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to recover tapes that showed Kelly engaging in sex acts with a teen girl. Throughout a full day of testimony, the questions posed to Charles Freeman and his decades-long involvement in the case invoked several heated exchanges between him and attorneys for Kelly and one of those co-defendants, his former business manager, Daryl McDavid. Freeman of Kansas City, Kansas City, Montgomery, said Tuesday that he drove across the country to find the tapes at the direction of Kelly McDavid and John Jack Palladino, a private investigator. Back on the witness stand Wednesday, Freeman often sported a grin as he at times struggled with questions from attorneys Bo Bridley and Jennifer Bonjean, who pointed out alleged con- alleged consistency inconsistencies between Freeman's trial testimony and previous sworn te- statements he made to a Cook County grand jury and a federal grand jury. Is this funny? You having a good time? Brindley asked. Yes, I am, Freeman replied before he leaned back in the witness chair and took a sip of his iced tea. You little bitch. Uh, uh, um, mm-mm. Oh, he cocky as hell. Mm-mm. Freeman is one of several witnesses for the prosecution who are testifying under a grant of immunity. On Tuesday, Freeman told jurors that he met with McDavid and Palladino on several occasions in which they instructed him to retrieve from a home in Georgia an illicit tape that depicted Kelly engaging in sex acts with a 14-year-old girl. Brinley, however, read several excerpts from a statement Freeman made to the Cook County Grand Jury in 2019 in which he said McDavid wasn't present for those meetings. After Freeman made one of his several requests to Brinley to repeat a question, Brinley asked him, you have a hearing problem? No, you have a reading problem? Freeman responded, ooh, ooh, you little bitch. At several points during his cross-examination, Freeman told Brinley that the grand jury statement he was reading from from was a summary and not a verbatim response. recitation of the facts known to Freeman. In 2001, Freeman and Freeman said Tuesday 
he was recruited by McDavid and Palladino to go home, go to a home in Georgia and recover a tape that showed Kelly engaging in sex acts with a 14-year-old girl, the same girl, Kelly's goddaughter, who was at the center of Kelly's 2008 trial. Freeman said he watched the video he recovered in Georgia and saw it, it contained two distinct scenes with Kelly and the girl. After he had the tape, he made three copies before returning to Kansas City. Oh, oh. Mm-mm. You had no concern about the girl on the tape, did you? She asked. I had a job to do. Ooh, you. I know this motherfucker took three copies so he can jack off to him. He's nasty. I know it. I know it. Mm-mm. Freeman said he asked for $1 million in exchange for the retrieval of the tape, and McDavid agreed. However, the contract Freeman signed admitted into evidence Tuesday was with Palladino and only for 140000 Freeman said he reached another off-the-books agreement in which McDavid would pay Freeman the $1 million in the installments until the end of Kelly's 2008 trial. Freeman later filed two lawsuits against Kelly, with McDavid named as a co-defendant in one, though he later dropped those suits after they were settled for more than 200000 He also testified that he planned to hold a press conference around the time of Kelly's 2008 trial, but he later canceled it after McDavid gave him $150,000. Janice Ampentine, the lead prosecutor, told Lynn and Weiber that the prosecutor prosecution's case could be concluded by mid next week (sighs) both mcdavid oh wait hold on Mm. oh there we go both mcdavid and milton brown kelly's co-defendants are charged with one count of conspiracy to retrieve child pornography while mcdavid also faces two counts of receiving child pornography and one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice Prosecutors allege Kelly and those in the inner circle paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years in effort to track down the videotapes that Kelly made that allegedly show him engaging in sexual activity with underage victims. He is, mm-mm. He, Freeman is a scumbag. He is a scumbag, really. You are, you, he didn't care about her on the tape. He just wanted his money. That is terrible. Like, what is, seriously, what the fuck is wrong with these people? They're sick. Fucking sick. That's what they are. Mm. (sighs) Yep. Mm -mm. Oh, here it goes. Mm. Here's more detail. After driving to the home from Kansas City, Miss... Montgomery Freeman knocked on the door and told the woman who answered I'm here to recover the missing tapes that y'all stole from Robert Kelly the woman pointed pointed Freeman to the living room where he said the video was looking for it was already in the VCR Freeman said he played that tape and saw two distinct scenes where Kelly was having sexual contact with a young girl Prosecutors have said one of those scenes was a clip from the video at the heart of Kelly's 2008 2008 trial. (sighs) 
Freeman said he took two other VHSs from inside the home, but later determined they weren't related to Kelly. From there, Freeman went to a Walmart where he bought three blank VHS tapes and a VCR that allowed him to make copies of the illicit tape he was tasked with finding, he said. I didn't trust Daryl McDavid and Jack Palladino to pay me my money, he said later, adding the police wasn't going to pay me $1 million. During the court's afternoon break, while Freeman was out of the courtroom, McDavid led defense attorney Bo Brindley told U.S. District Attorney Judge Harry Lyndon Weiber that Freeman's testimony was indirect contradiction with prior statements he has made under oath. In her opening statement last week, Kelly's lead defense attorney Jennifer Bondine said that Freeman is an extortionist. Brindley and Bondine are expected to cross-examine. Well, well, they already did cross-examine him. He's a dickhead. He's a he's a freaking dickhead. Mm-hmm. He did not give a shit. Ooh. All right, in 2003, McDavid again contacted Freeman and asked if he could recover another tape that had gone missing. Freeman said this one depicted Kelly engaging in sex acts with the minor girl seen in the first video, as well as another woman. We know who that is. That tape, McDavid said, could already be in Kansas City area and somebody Freeman might know has this tape. Freeman later called an associate of his, Keith Merrill, back in Kansas City and learned he did indeed have the tape. Freeman testified that Merrill said the tape was sent to him by the adult woman seen in the video. Merrill, Freeman said, had his own separate deal in place to get that tape back to McDavid. Freeman added that he later recorded a portion of that on his cell phone, which he said was later lost. <sighs> Prosecutors said that they did not know where the tape was, and Kelly's attorney Bonjean told jurors that it never existed. Shortly before the start of Kelly's 2008 trial, Freeman said he was summoned to Chicago to meet with Kelly, who assured him, you're going to get your money, Chuck. Just trust us on this. The next day, Freeman said McDavid gave him $100,000. As Kelly's trial was about to begin, Freeman called McDavid and told him that he needed the rest of the $1 million he was owed. After arguing with McDavid, Freeman said he decided to call a press conference to publicly disclose some big information about the case. The next day, Freeman said he got a call from Milton June Brown, one of Kelly's assistants and the third defendant in the ongoing case. After Freeman spoke with Kelly by phone, Brown gave Freeman another $10,000 in cash. The following day, Freeman said McDavid gave him another $150,000. Freeman then called off the press conference. After Kelly was acquitted in the 2008 trial, Freeman filed another lawsuit against Kelly, McDavid, and Brown, he said. The suit was later settled for $125,000. Oh my God. bunch of scumbags seriously especially that especially that Freeman guy shit mm. okay guys we're gonna take ourselves another quick music break when I come back we are going to 
discuss more about the R. Kelly trial. Welcome to Vegas, baby. I want you to come and pay me. Give me the money, give me diamonds, give me rubies, baby. Take me on that strip. I wanna go shopping. Get on your knees and beg me, please, to let you in me. I wanna ride a belly. I wanna ride a belly. I wanna ride a belly. I wanna ride it. I wanna ride, I wanna ride. Welcome back to the Tea and Hennessy. I hope you guys enjoyed that music break. 
Now, apparently, Jane's parents suffered money problems for a number of years despite being paid a lot of money by Byron Kelly. The parents were paid 80, $80 million from 2006 to 2012. The victim was also paid an undisclosed amount from 2006 to 2015, which I discussed in previous of the episode that we're on right now. As Radar Online reported, the now 37-year-old victim filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy after Kelly's arrest. Radar Online has uncovered court records that reveal the parents have struggled over the years despite the $80 million from Kelly. The parents filed for bankruptcy in August of 2007, months before Kelly's 2008 trial began. They listed... $405,381 in assets, but $4,409, sorry, $449,218 in, in liabilities. I'm sorry, guys, I'm getting really tired. The couple's monthly income was 8200 8, with monthly expenses totaling 8400 the father said he pulled seven thousand into seven hundred seven hundred and two thousand a month from his job at Bass Productions. The company is Kelly's arc is Kelly's company. Kelly's record credits show the victim's father on the singer's 2003 Chocolate Factory, his 2005 album TP3 Reloaded, and the 2010 release Love Letter. Uh huh. At the time, the couple owned a home in Illinois, a 2005 Ford Focus, and a 2006 Lincoln Navigator. Court documents revealed they owed credit card companies and department stores large sums of money. In 2010, the couple filed for bankruptcy a second time. The father now listed himself as unemployed. At the time, the couple listed having an 18-year-old son and a 25-year-old daughter. Kelly's victim were both listed as dependents. The case ended up being dismissed without their debt being discharged. However, in 2016, the couple filed for bankruptcy a third time with assets of 11K, but liabilities totaling 1,000K. They only had 700 in the bank and owed thousands in tax and credit card debt. In March 2017, the bankruptcy judge granted the parents a discharge. Reverse the words, bounce off your bitch, real. 
Should've never brought your bitch here LeBron ho The way I run the stats Highlight of the year, you know they run it back DJ, 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 keep the wave on replay Bitches shake that ass, don't be the front, no delay Huh? Getting money three ways You cannot discount me, my name not no BJ And she give me BJ Baby girl so wild, quiet down, tell her behave Caught up in the hate, them niggas lost up in the system Bought her her dinner date, her nigga don't pay shit, he different Got on gorilla face, so here we supposed to think you killers The pressure been at bay and we don't hear your words keep hissing And my shit so vicious, got me scared so flippin' Got whole bitch in fixes, young plan on no difference And we on our mission, gang, fuck around and beat the gang And you know the name, and the flow insane Get him up, stick him up, fuck him, fuck him let them know they lame, let them up, flip them up, cut them, cut them, cut them. Wrist is cut the same, nigga, I get them all custom Nigga, I get out, fuck up Yes, I think it's much more than physical You see, you got so many great qualities You make me laugh, hella smart, super talented Make me wonder what it's like to be a woman Yeah, I know it's kinda odd coming from your friend Often fantasize about us making love How we would feel just laying there in your arms Are you loyal? Can I trust you with my heart? I'm saying all of this looking in the mirror At myself thinking, will I get the courage To look him in his eyes and tell him what I'm feeling But I can't handle rejection So I'll keep on wondering What if it took the time to explore this thing? What if we discovered we were meant to? Oh, yeah, let me show you what my life can bring What if you find out I'm your one oh, and only? Oh, I've been wondering what you would do if I gave my heart uh, to you? Yeah. I got enough for my heart to lay it on the line. I'll do anything for you at the drop of a dime. Anytime I look at you, I catch you looking back. Got me wondering if we riding the same track. In other words, are we on the same train of thought? Hanging on your every word anytime we talk. Cuban with them other dudes that ain't right for you. Got me thinking, what if I'm the type for you? Hold on, how be loving how you ride for yourself? Hold on, you be trying to do this shit by yourself. Hold on, got my brain filling up with what is. Hold on, like what if I leave for a kiss? Please don't hold it and kiss me. I ain't a bad guy, not the past last guy or the past last guy. <laughs> what if I told you I want you right now? Don't be shy now, what if you were mine now? What if you took the time to explore this thing? What if we discovered we were meant to? Oh, yeah, let me show you what my life can bring. What if you find out I'm your one? Oh, I've been wondering and thinking about what you would do if I gave my heart to you. Yeah. What if I gave you my heart? What if I don't let you down? What if I told you I need you? 
said you see me holding you down What if my flaws are too much? What if I'm not what you need? Baby, I got all this love for you So just put your faith in me What if I gave you my heart? What if I don't let you down? What if I told you I need you? Could you see me holding you down? What if I'm scared to move on? What if I can't be the one? What if I just put faith in you? I wanna give you all of my love Take the time to explore this thing What if we discovered we were meant to be? Yeah, let me show you what my love can bring What if you find out I'm your one oh, and only? Welcome back to the Teen Hennessy. Hope you guys enjoyed that music break. After a small break and a week change, we are now going to be talking about the Amina and Sarah Saeed trial. Even when I was on break, I still waited for the news. So we're going to go through the trial of what happened. Here we go. Knew she was going to die. Day one of Yasser Saeed trial details his daughter's failed escape. Amina Saeed was so close to getting away from the man she feared. The 18-year-old senior at Louisville High School fled the state, got an apartment, and planned to start a new life. But her mother forced Amina to return her br- returned to her father January 1st 2008 her then boyfriend Edgar Ruiz testified Tuesday in a Dallas County courtroom at her father's capital murder trial the same evening she and her younger sister were shot and killed Amina's last words to Ruiz were that he would never see her again she knew she was gonna die Ruiz 34 said in the first day of testimony against Yasser Saeed Saeed she's Saeed, 65, is accused of shooting Amina and her 17-year-old sister, Sarah, in his taxi. A passerby discovered their bullet-riddled bodies outside an Irving hotel. If convicted, well, we already know the, we already know the sentence, but let's keep going. I'm going to go, I'm going to skip over that part. He was on the land for 12 years until he was arrested in August 2020 at a family house in Denton County. Saeed's son, Islam Saeed, and brother Yassin Saeed were arrested on suspicion of helping to hide him. Last year, Islam Saeed was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison and Yassin Saeed got 12 years. Good riddance. Yassir Saeed appeared in court wearing a dark blue sports coat over a crisp white shirt and a dark striped tie he wore a mask to guard against COVID 19 and frequently spoke in a loud whisper to an arabic translator next to him the girl's mother patricia owens who divorced saeed after the murders has not been charged 
Prosecutors Lauren Black told jurors that Saeed yearned to control his wife and daughters and had grown angry in the weeks leading up to the shootings because he felt he was losing his grip on them. Saeed put a gun to Amina's head in December 2007, prompting the girls and their mother to flee that December 23rd, she said. This is a case about a man obsessed with possession and control, Black said. But defense lawyers said the police investigation was botched from the start. Officers zeroed in on Saeed after the girl's boyfriends accused him of the killings and never investigated other people, defense attorney Joseph Patton said. Patton said the boyfriends kickstarted a narrative that Saeed killed his daughters because he didn't want them to have American boyfriends. Saeed was born in Egypt and has dual citizenship. The boys talked to police, Patton said, but officers did not test them for gunshot residue. Police also did not compare their fingerprints or DNA to the crime scene, Patton said. Dozens of law enforcement officials are expected to testify the coming days. Rather than investigating the murders, they were investigating Yasser, he said. Evidence cannot and will not support a conviction for a capital murder. He will kill us. About two weeks before they fled, Amina, Sarah Ruiz, and Sarah's boyfriend, Eric Panamino, hatched a plan, the men testified. Panamino said he was willing to drop out of school to support the girls' dreams of becoming doctors. Amina originally planned to escape by herself, Ruiz said, but Ruiz suggested to take Sarah to protect her. Ruiz said she should also take her mom in case their romance ended. Her mom could protect her, Ruiz said. Amina emailed Louisville High School history teacher Renee Hopkins on December 21, 2007. The teacher testified. She told Hopkins of her plan to leave and begged her for secrecy until she resettled. Amina feared her dad finding out. He will, without any drama or doubt, kill us, Amina wrote in the email Hopkins shared with school administrators. The educator's face grew red and she blinked back tears as prosecutor read the email aloud. Amina's friend, Caitlin Rogers, testified she received an email from Amina on Christmas Day 2007. Amina seemed positive and hopeful, Rogers said. The girls, their mother, and boyfriend settled in Tulsa after a brief stint in Kansas where Owens had family. On December 26, 2007, Saeed reported his wife and daughters missing to Louisville police. On December 27th, Louisville Police Sergeant Michael Ragg testified he received a call from Owens. She said she was alive and well, but feared her husband and asked how to enroll her daughters in a new school without him knowing, Ragg said. The call filled with static before it dropped, he said. Ruiz left Tulsa to return to Louisville for a family New Year's Eve party. On December 30th, Amina texted saying they decided to go back because her mom needed to run errands. It wasn't a group decision, Panamana said. I think Sarah wanted to fix things and Patricia kind of convinced them, kind of convinced us all it was going to be safe. Worst mistake ever, but Amina was dubious. She stayed with Ruiz at his parents' house while her mother and Sarah returned to Saeed. Aunt told them to flee. On January 1st, 2008, 
Amina called her aunt, Connie McGill. McGill testified that her niece sounded frantic and said Owens went back to her dad. McGill said she told Amina to go to the Louisville Police Department, file a restraining order against her father, and go as far as she could. Owens showed up at the doorstep of Rua's parents' house about 5 or 6 p.m. and demanded Amina go home. Owens grabbed her daughter by the hand and forced her out of the house, Ruiz said. Amina told Ruiz he had failed her. Ruiz and his father later spotted the girls and Saeed in a taxi that evening. The pair pulled alongside the taxi and Ruiz said he saw Amina in the front passenger seat looking at Saeed who was driving. Sahara was in the rear passenger seat. Amina seemed uncomfortable and fearful, Ruiz recalled. About 7.30 p.m. that night, Sarah called 911 and said her dad shot her and she was dying. A man called authorities about an hour later after discovering their bodies in the taxi outside the Omni Mandalay Hotel in Las Vegas, Colinas, in Las Colinas, part of Irving. <sighs> Prosecutor said the girls had been shot multiple times. A normal life. Amina and Sarah were honor students and athletes at Louisville High School. They were in the top 10% of their classes, Panamano said. Amina was receiving scholarship offers from colleges, Ruiz added. The girls were kind-hearted and wanted to help people, Panamano said. Hopkins, their history teacher at Louisville, described Amina as reflective and Sarah as curious. Defense lawyers suggested Saeed was a concerned parent who didn't want boys to interfere with his daughter's studies and aspirations. Magillo described Amina as bubbly, happy, and very smart. A great girl. Sarah, Magillo said, was headstrong, but happy as well, energetic and pretty. Magillo sobbed as the photos of the girls smiling in their school pictures were displayed in the courtroom. These were two young spirited young ladies black said normal teenage girls who wanted a normal life okay this part is gonna get a little graphic but it has to this has to be discussed because it is part of the background all right honor killing dad molested girls before allegedly shooting them mom testified The Texas father accused of fatally shooting his daughters in the back of his taxi in an honor killing allegedly sexually assaulted the two girls years prior and then threatened to kill their mother if they didn't recant their claims to police. The shocking accusation against Yasser Saeed came during testimony by his ex-wife Patricia Owen in Dallas County Court on Thursday during his capital murder trial. Breaking down several times on the stand, Owens testified that her daughter, Sarah and Amina, told her in 1998 that Saeed had touched them. After learning about the allegations, Owens said that she went with the daughters to the Hill County Sheriff's Department to make a report before moving to another town to be near her sister. At the same time, Amina would have been eight years old and Sarah would have been seven. The charges were ultimately dropped after the girls recanted out of fear of their father, she said. He wanted me to go back to him. If I didn't go back to him, he threatened to kill me and my family. 
Owen said, adding in that Saeed stated he wanted to kill her after the, she filed the charges. He said nothing would happen to him. Okay. Okay. Now we're going to get into we're going to get into her testimony right now. We're going to get into Tissy's testimony. Uh Patricia Owens, Yasir's former wife, had not seen him since New Year's Day of 2008 when he took their daughters Amina 18 and Sarah 17 to dinner and insisted on going alone so they could talk. Instead, prosecutors say Saeed shot the girls multiple times in the cab. He drove and left them dead outside a hotel in suburban Irving. Owens testified that she and the girls had just returned to their home in Louisville, Texas from Oklahoma, where they had gone to get away from Saeed. She testified she knew the girls were dating and that Saeed would have become enraged if he knew about it. I just thought he would, like, punish them, like, take their phone away and stuff like that. But long before 2008, Owens testified that she and her daughters were abused by Saeed. She told the jury how she married Saeed in 1987 when she was just 15 and he was 29. She gave birth to Amina, Sarah, and their brother Islam in the first three years of their marriage. Owens claimed she left Saeed multiple times during the marriage and described him as controlling. In 1998, while living near Waco, Texas, Owens filed a report with the Hill County Sheriff's Office accusing Saeed of sexually abusing the two girls. She took all three children and left him for months before returning and telling the girls to recant their story. I felt scared not to go back, Owens explained. Yasser was abusive. In late 2007, Owens and her daughters fled again to Tulsa, Oklahoma, after the girls feared that they would, that their father, feared that their father would kill them if he learned they had both become engaged to their boyfriends. Owens said, Owens said Saeed had previously threatened Amina with a gun. The mother and daughters returned to Texas to finish their schooling on the promise that Saeed would lead the family home. Even then, Amina refused to go back to the house, fearful of the repercussions. When prosecutors asked if she knew what would happen when they returned, she replied, part of me did, part of me didn't. Earlier this week, prosecutors played the recording of a 911 call placed by Sarah after she had been shot, but she was still alive. <sighs> My father shot me, I'm dying, Sarah said in a recording. Saeed, who was arrested in August 2020 after more than a decade on the lam, has maintained his innocence and his lawyer has argued that he is being targeted by law enforcement for being Muslim in post-September 11th, post-September 11th world. That's bullshit. You killed your daughters because you want to control over them. That's bullshit. believe that for one minute that he is sorry at all he knows what he did and he has to live with it <sighs> sorry guys I just need a minute
just This motherfucker took his took the stand in his own defense. Are you kidding me? Well, well, actually, he has that right to take a stand in his own defense because he, well, he's a killer. But y- y'all know what I mean. Defendant Yasser Abdel Saeed took the stand as the only defense witness in his trial for the purported, excuse me, honor killing of his daughters. The 65-year-old cab driver from Louisville is accused of murdering his two teenage daughters in 2008. The father said he loved his daughters and is not to blame for their killing. Speaking through an interpreter in his native Arabic, said Saeed testified someone else is responsible for the crime. That's a bunch of bullshit. But investigators never found that person because they only pursued him. If the FBI did their work, they would know, but they were looking for Yasir Saeed. And they did not do what they have to do, he said. Defense lawyers unsuccessfully tried to limit the scope of cross-examination. The judge warned Saeed that prosecutors would be allowed to raise any issue from the trial with him, but he said he wanted to talk anyway. The father told the courtroom that he only wanted to take his two daughters to dinner on New Year's Day 2008, but on the road in his taxi, he said he saw someone following them. He, He said he assumed that... He was the target, so he claimed he got out of the car at an Irving Transit Center where he assumed the girls would be safe. I told them the car is yours. You do whatever you want since you know how to drive. I left the car for them. Later, Saeed added he heard about an accident and learned that his girls had been murdered. He said he regrets leaving them alone and denied killing them. Prosecutor picked picked at Saeed's story and asked why he was on the run for 12 years if he was not guilty despite seeing media reports that he was wanted because I believe behind the courage there was a secret agenda. The coverage was a secret agenda. And I feel the media was against me in a certain direction that I would not get a fair trial, Saeed said. The defense rested after the defendant's testimony. The judge said the jury would be be given instructions and closing arguments will be delivered jurors were told to pack a bag they will be sequestered in a hotel if deliberations continue more than a day on friday graphic crime scene evidence was shown to the jury including bullet riddled clothing worn by the girls on the night of the murders the cause of death for both victims was listed as multiple gunshot wounds and homicide as the manner of death Syed refused to look up as two medical examiners who conducted the victim's autopsies took the stand and described photographs of each victim's examination displayed in the courtroom. Each girl, they said, had been shot multiple times. Amina suffered two gunshot wounds, including a fatal wound to the chest. The medical examiner found 1,500 millimeters of blood in Amina's right chest cavity, the equivalent of three water bottles. Sarah suffered nine gunshot wounds, mostly to her abdomen, according to the medical examiner. Her chilling 911 call was played before the jury on Wednesday, where she was heard saying her father shot her and that she was dying. FBI agent Danielle Jimenez 
who led the federal government's effort to track down Saeed, took the stand Friday afternoon. Jimenez detailed the local and global search for Saeed, who was on the FBI's top 10 most wanted fugitive list before his 2020 arrest at a home in Justin. Upon the SWAT team's notice and knock announced the defendant came out and surrendered, said Jimenez. We took him into custody without incident. Whether the girls were victims of an honor killing for allegedly bringing dishonor to their family has been widely speculated by loved ones and media since their murder in 2008. On Friday, that phrase took center stage. I do not have firsthand knowledge of what an honor killing is. There is no such thing as an honor killing. To You kill somebody, there is no honor in it. It's a murder, Irving Police Detective John Henning said. A film made about the murders, The Price of Honor, alleges the girls were killed by their father as an honor killing, a cultural practice where someone is killed for bringing shame on their family. The film furthers speculation the girl's father objected to his daughter's life living in American lifestyle. Dr. Brashir Ahmad with the Muslim Community Center in North Richland Hills told NBC5 in 2020 following Saeed's arrest that murder was against Islamic principle. Under no way this is honor killing. This is just killing. This is a murder and this is not acceptable, Ahmad said. On Thursday, the mother of Amina and Sarah Saeed took the stand Patricia Owens, Yasir Saeed's ex-wife, testified before the jury and said why she fled her husband home with her daughters only to return days before they were killed. Owens, who visibly had trouble on the stand and has been diagnosed with PTSD, is on medication, said she met Saeed when she was 14 and he was 29. She said she would she married him at the age of 15 with the permission of her parents after dating for 3 weeks and had three children with him over the next 3 years. <sighs> she said she and her two daughters returned to her husband because he was abusive and she was afraid of getting hurt if they didn't. She said she urged Amia to return home on the day of the murders even though the teen said she feared for her life. Owen said on the day her daughter returned, Yasir appeared happy and kissed her on the forehead and shed a tear. When asked to identify her ex-husband in court, Owens raised her, her arm, pointed at Saeed and said, that devil there. She told jurors she and her husband had not spoken since the night their daughters were killed. Prosecutors asked Owens if she had any idea what might have happened to her daughters when they left to eat with their father, and she said, part of me did, part of me didn't, before saying, I'm sorry. Owens said her ex-husband was abusive and controlling and would look over the girl's phone records and would call numbers to see if they belonged to a boy or a girl. Prosecutors said Saeed was angry, the girls were dating out of their culture, and that they recently ran away to be with their boyfriends. Prosecutors claim Saeed's daughters made an outcry that he'd sexually abused them and had touched them inappropriately. Saeed's defense argued Owen's story had changed so much over the years that she was also that she was close to becoming a suspect herself and also claimed police were fixated on blaming a Muslim man for the killings instead of looking at other potential suspects. The defense is also expected to try to discredit Sarah's chilling 911 call oh, played before the jury where she said her father shot her. 
The girls' bodies were found in their father's taxi cab outside the Omni Hotel in Irving. Both of them had been shot multiple times. Saeed disappeared and had not been seen for 12 years until his arrest in Justin by the FBI in August 2020. Saeed entered a not guilty plea. No, no big surprise there. Silence filled Dallas County District Court 7 Wednesday as prosecutors prepared to present the chilling 911 call. <sighs> Made by a dying Sarah Saeed on New Year, New Year 2008. My dad shot me. I'm dying. I'm dying. Yelled a frantic woman identified as Sarah. Yasir sat emotionless, holding a finger to his ear to listen to the disturbing audio. The, the potential key piece of evidence was admitted on day two of testimony despite objections by the defense who previously cautioned the jurors their expert will later testify that the 17 year old may have been hallucinating that's bullshit how the hell could she be bullshit how the hell is she be hallucinating no after being shot nine times when she named her father as her shooter jurors also saw the orange taxi cab where she and her 18 year old sister amina were found shot to death Hotel employee Nathan Watson testified that the moment a taxi cab driver reported seeing two injured people in the cab lane of the hotel. I could see a young lady who had her eyes fixed open and there was stuff coming out of her nose, said Watson. Police allege these were honor killings committed by an abusive, controlling, and possessive father who was angry his daughters dated outside their culture and had left home recently. Saeed's three public defenders argue this was a botched police investigation fixated on a Muslim man in post 9-11 world of Islamophobia. Day two of testimony ended with a former crime scene investigator who wheeled in a cart full of evidence, including the bullet riddled cab seats, shell casings and projectiles found throughout the car and photographs showing a shell casing found on Amina's shoulder. He also told evidence on Sarah's body indicated she had been shot very close range. He controlled what they did, who they talked to, who they could be friends with, if they and who, if they and who they could date, and he controlled everything in his household. The girl's aunt, Connie McGill, broke down on the stand as she identified autopsy of her nieces. She told the jurors about a conversation she had with a frantic Amina the day of the murders. She didn't want to go back home. She would rather be dead than ever go back there, McGill testified. In a letter written to the judge overseeing the case, Saeed said he was not happy with his kids' dating activity, but denied killing his daughters. Defense attorney Joseph Patton said in opening statements that the evidence would not support a conviction, that police were too quick to focus on Saeed, who was born in Egypt, and suggested that anti-Muslim sentiment played out into that focus. It is wrong for the government to generalize an entire culture, criminalize an entire culture to fit their narrative and to fit their objective. The state wants to convict Yasser for being Muslim in 2008. That's bullshit and you know it. Kiss my ass. His defense said no one will testify they saw Saeed at the crime scene, adding police should have investigated the girl's mother or Amina's boyfriend. They were the last people to see Amina and Sarah alive. Amina's boyfriend testified he and his father indeed saw Saeed and both girls in his cab shortly before the shooting and that they briefly followed them out of concern. 
Her look was in fear. She didn't look like she wanted to be there, said Amina's boyfriend, Edgar Ruiz. Black said the sisters, both high school students in Louisville, dreamed of becoming doctors and that Yassir grew angrier as they grew up and became more educated and independent. When they had more independence, that was less control for him. Sarah's boyfriend testified about why she kept their relationship a secret. Something would happen to me or something would happen to her, Eric Hanamano told jurors. Prosecutors presented an email Amina reportedly sent to her Louisville teacher, which I just read. So she and her sister were going to run away. He will kill us, Amina wrote. More than 58 people were expected to be called to testify, including the girl's mother, as well as local and federal investigators and experts on Muslim culture. The judge is also allowing prosecutors to tell jurors about the allegations that Saeed sexually abused his daughters, who later recanted. A film made about the murders, The Price of Honor, which I got, which I really, I suggest you guys go watch that, alleged the girls were killed by their father as an honor killing, a cultural practice where someone is killed after bringing shame on their family. The film further speculation the girl's father objected to his daughters living an American lifestyle. We both know that's true. We both know that's true. (sighs) You know what? (sighs) We won. Yasser Saeed found guilty of killing his two daughters, sentenced to life in prison. It took jurors about three hours to convict Saeed for the deaths of his daughters, Amina and Sarah, in 2008. Judge Chika Aniyam sentenced Saeed to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Saeed showed no emotion as the verdict was read. Before Saeed was taken away, he heard two victim impact statements, one of them from ex-wife Patricia Owens. She held up pictures of her dead daughters. Owens said because of what Saeed did, she will never get to see her daughters grow up. She won't see them graduate from college. Both wanted to be doctors. She will also never get to see them get married. At one point, Owens looked directly at Saeed and reminded him all of the abuse they endured, allegedly having a knife pulled on her. Owen Saeed said Saeed made her a weak woman, but those days are over. Yasser Saeed, you're a devil. You murdered your girl, she said. I hope someday somebody gets their hands on you and hurts you and do everything do everything you ever did to anybody. That's counting the nine bullets you put in Sarah. Nine. And she called 911. Amina, two bullets in the heart. Owens called him the devil and said he deserved a punishment much tougher than life in prison. You deserve to die now, not in prison. You took my life, you took my family all in one night, she said. You can keep those evil eyes glaring, just glare away, because this is going to be the last time that you see me. 
Lead prosecutor Lauren Black called Saeed a true narcissist who believed he was smarter than everybody else. It's been an honor and privilege to stand up and be an advocate for Sarah. I've been thinking about them the last two weeks every morning when I wake up and close my eyes, she said. So it was reliving, reliving to get guilty. It was relieving to get a guilty verdict and get justice for these girls. Prosecutors said Saeed, a native of Egypt, was angry that his daughters were dating and that the boys were not Muslim. They claim in, in a 911 call from the night of the murders, Sarah said her father was attacking her. They also presented an email from the girls to one of their teachers prior to the murder saying they feared their father would kill them. In a surprise move, Saeed testified on Monday. He tried to claim someone else murdered them and that the night his daughters were killed, someone was following them. He says he feared for his life and left the girls in the cab alive as he ran away. However, Saeed never called 911. Instead, he hid for 12 years until the FBI found him in a relative's home in Denton. Saeed tried to blame the FBI for not searching for an unknown person. He said he was the real killer. They also raised concerns about what they considered a lack of evidence, including the lack of fingerprints and eyewitnesses reports to place Saeed at the crime scene. The defense also criticized Irving police and federal investigators, claiming they did not properly investigate the case or look for other suspects. Justice would have been the Irving Police Department doing their job, defense attorney Joe Patton said during closing arguments. Black said she was glad Saeed took the witness stand, giving her the chance to poke holes in his story, exposing him to everyone who has been watching this case. Prosecutors did not seek the death penalty, so, I, so Saeed was automatically sentenced to life in prison with no parole. Saeed's defense attorney said he will be filing a notice of appeal. Go ahead. File as many appeals as you want, bitch. You ain't getting out. And... To Amina and Sarah, rest in peace, girls. You can finally rest. And Ruth, if you're listening to this, get them out of that cemetery and put them, please put them where they belong, in a beautiful place where they belong, not that not that dried up piece of mulch that that Tissy put them in. Please. I have much left for you and soul. Thank you so much. And also thank you for telling their stories on my on my channel. I really do appreciate it. <sighs> okay guys, this has been the Chronicles of She. I will see you all next week. Peace. You know I'll be fucking around. Check. Yeah. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. We not the same. We not the same. We not the same. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. Everything's different over here, boy. Niggas ain't tripping over here, boy. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. On a different kind of grind, kind of grind. Different watch on a different type of, type of time. They be talking like I'm really hard to find. Right. 
It's a problem, you can always hit my line Cloud chaser tryna ride another dick Only pop out when they see another nigga talking shit Say you real, but you loud with every sentence out your lips Homie stay up out the smoke, so we ain't gotta take a hit Wow. You think bands and your fanny make you rich But your value in the street ain't worth the money that you spent I learned from the OGs, follow every code If you ain't bought the street, go get you a million sold Keep it G, don't never be another me I'm the same nigga solo, I'm the same with a fleet Same nigga when I'm quiet, I'm the same when I speak Ain't no comparison to you and me We not the same We not the same We not the same We not the same Tell them pipe down, we not the same Everything different over here, boy Niggas ain't tripping over here, boy Anytime I talk, try me if you want I'm on fire like a Molotov Everything you say made up I keep it hetero, hands to the sky Straight up Niggas try to take shots and they hit bricks Funny thing, those are only bricks they ever flip You try to fuck your homegirls and they ain't with the shits But if me and sis fuck, then she ain't sis I be on that no fraud flex Somebody in your cypher should've told you about yourself, huh? But I get it, you be capping for the gram Then turn to a bird and hide your face in the sand, huh? Been about my word, you can ask around Matter of fact, don't even speak my fucking name, clown I'm still one-on-one, so homie, behave Go ahead, take it to your grave We not the same